And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a terrific week. Um, great show today. I was joined by my good friend, Jeremy Frankel. Uh, it's been a while since I've talked to Jeremy, but it's always a good time. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, we talked about uh, Barry Weiss's uh, resignation and brutal takedown letter of the New York Times. We talked about the, uh, the, the rise of anti-Semitism on the left and racism on the left. Um, we talked about Tommy Tuberville uh, defeating Jeff Sessions in the Alabama senatorial primary. Uh, and Jeremy explained why we should be optimistic about a Trump victory this November. So uh, that's, that's great stuff there as well. Um, if you've uh, been feeling down lately, maybe Jeremy will be able to cheer you up. <laughs> Before I get to Jeremy, uh, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. All right. Uh, without further ado, here's my chat with the great Jeremy Frankel. All right, guys, we're here with my friend Jeremy Frankel. Jeremy, my brother, how you doing? Good. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for doing it. It's been a while. So we have a ton to get to has been a while. in a short amount of time. Uh, let's get right into the news of the day. First, yesterday, man, I love everything about this story, kind of. I, I don't know if it's necessarily good news, but it was it definitely brightened my day yesterday. And I think I speak for a lot of us on the right. But uh, Barry Weiss, uh, the opinion writer, well, I guess now former opinion writer for the New York Times, has resigned and penned an absolutely brutal letter to her former colleagues condemning the insane leftist, anti-free speech, anti-Semitic behavior of the newspaper, um, or as Andrew Clavin would say, that the former newspaper. I think that sums it up the New York Times pretty well. But I'm not going to read the letter, but essentially the premise was Barry telling her former colleagues, I'm a lefty, but I'm not a psychopathic communist like the rest of your, <laughs> like the rest of you people. So, what what are your thoughts on this brutal takedown of the Times? Well, I, I may disagree with uh, Cleveland a little bit. It never was a newspaper. Right. They are noted for running cover for Hamas whenever they could, um, covering up the Holocaust. This is all documented in uh, in Mark Levin's book on freedom of the press. Um, running cover for the Red Famine and, the, and uh, Stalin's uh, Soviet Union. They are horrendous in every way possible, and they deserve everything. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, man. And, like, if anybody believes that the press isn't on the far-left fringes of society, Barry Weiss, she calls herself a centrist, but she's not. I mean, she she said on Joe Rogan's podcast that she essentially believes that we should end the Second Amendment and confiscate all firearms, right? So, like, she's no conservative. She's no right-winger. Like, she's not even a centrist. She just hasn't jumped off the cliff like the rest of these people. And she never claimed to be, and that's okay. I mean, I, I you know, it's okay in the sense that, you know, you have every right to believe that, even if it's 100% wrong. Yeah. But what's not okay, and maybe I'm, you know, I don't know if you agree with me on this feel free to obviously it's your show <laughs> i'm one of those type of people that believes in zero censorship whatsoever right anybody can say whatever they want unless it's breaking the law like threatening or something like that 
you know, say whatever you want. Cancel culture is the worst. Cancel culture is the it's it's just the worst. If you want to make sure that society never grows, never changes their minds, never even thinks, get rid of any dissenting opinion. You'll be in a bubble in an echo chamber the rest of your life. You might be blissful, but you'll be ignorant. You'll be stupid. And you'll be quite shallow. I think this episode, this latest episode, just proves what I think a lot of us conservatives have been saying for a long time. Like, and there are still kind of like the mainstream, you know, like DC Republican types that, that I mean, everybody on the right notices the problems with with newspapers like the New York Times, with the Washington Post, with places like CNN, and and, and people like that. But a lot of you know, kind of establishment Republican types still believe that you can reform these institutions. I don't. Does anybody believe that anymore? I mean, that if if Barry Weiss is too far to the right for the New York Times, these people are too far gone. I mean, they, these institutions need to be burned to the ground, and we need to create new ones. Like, I don't think you can reform these people. They, I mean, they're resisting reform. Like, they they'll alienate anybody with any dissenting opinion. I don't think these people can be saved. They have to go under. They have to be driven out of business, and we need to build our own newspapers. You know, like I, I don't think you can reform an institution like the New York Times. I agree. There is no such thing as uh, working across the aisle anymore. I don't even know if there ever really was, but at least it worked to some extent. Now, they want nothing other than to destroy this country. They want nothing other than to destroy you. They want. They, they say they want to destroy Trump. They do. But it's about you. It's about me. It's about anybody who's to the right of Bernie Sanders. It's anyone they don't like. It's anyone who's only 99.999% with them. Yeah, and the, the funniest thing too, man, I, reading the comments of what other uh, you know other writers at the New York Times and other lefty journos were, were saying about Barry Weiss yesterday, I mean, the, the first thing, I mean, Brett Stevens and uh, uh, Ross Douthat and, and these guys were, were trending on Twitter as well because all the lefty writers were saying, all right, well, Brett Stevens is next. Kick his ass out of the New York Times. It's like, all right, guys, you're... You controlled 97% of the press, and all they can think about, all they can focus on, is that how upset they are that they don't control the other 3%, right? It's like, guys, you, you control everything, and they, they won't stop until they've silenced anybody who disagrees with them. It's like, I, I can't imagine, man. I, as, a, as a lifelong conservative right-winger, like, <laughs> I can't imagine controlling, you know, people that share my ideology, controlling 95% of something and being butthurt that we don't control the other 5%. I mean, these people are just like... They'll never stop. It's never enough for them. That's how they are. It's an empire. It's a conquest. They want everyone destroyed. Yeah, they must consume. They must consume the entire space, you know. And it's very, very sad to see. But if they want to make sure that the only people who read their paper are like these woke hippies with purple hair who sit at Starbucks um, just constantly typing away, whining that they don't have a job and hating capitalism from their iPhones, then... That's what they'll get, and they totally deserve it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I've been talking a lot uh, about this on the podcast, the the, the shocking amount of, uh, we really shouldn't be shocked anymore, but the, the, the shocking amount of anti-Semitism on the left, um, primarily among you know black leftists, uh, specifically in their support of Louis Farrakhan. I, I, like I said, I shouldn't be surprised by anything at this point. I mean, you're an Orthodox Jew, so I'm sure you're not surprised at anything on the left at this point. But just the, the amount of prominent celebrities, especially prominent black celebrities, 
supporting Louis Farrakhan. I mean, from Shannon Sharp to Deshaun Jackson, and now Nick Cannon is the latest one. He came out supporting Louis Farrakhan. He's under fire uh, after supporting Farrakhan's conspiracy theories. He also went on a extremely racist anti-white rant, calling white people evil and savages and less than human and, and, and all of this. He was, I think he hosts two different television shows, and he was fired from one of them. I, I believe he still hosts a show on Fox. We'll see if they fire him, which they obviously should. But, man... I know it's not, I know it's just Twitter, and Twitter is full of, you know, it's vile. But if you go to Nick Cannon's Twitter feed, it is full of support for his racism and anti Semitism, especially from black leftists. This isn't fringe, man. I mean, this is very pervasive. It's not a fringe element of the left, it, it's mainstream on the left. And I'm not saying there aren't racists on the right, there are, but it's a far worse problem on the left by any available metric. Look, I'll be, uh, if I may just hit that last sentence that you just said for a second before I get to my main point. Absolutely. People say there are racists on the right. People don't know what the right means. People think that the right means Hitler and neo-Nazis. They're of the left as well. They're a big government. They're eugenicists. They base everything based on race instead of individualism. They hate capitalism. Hitler hated capitalism. Right. They are all on the left. Yes. On the right, I, I, I hate using this terminology because on the right means that it's some out of the mainstream just by definition it just sounds that way on the right means american on the right means conservative there are okay there might be racists on the right but it's not endemic to any philosophy that the right holds you know what i mean yeah absolutely and i want you to get to your main point but even going further than you know obviously you know hitler was a a man of the left He, he was a socialist um but like even talking about like the you know the tiki torch kids the alt right I mean, if you think those people are a part of the right, you you aren't paying attention. I mean, <laughs> alt-right means an alternative to the right. I mean, these neo-Nazis, these these racists who the media calls right-wingers, I mean, the term alt-right that they coined literally means an alternative to the right. They hate the right. They hate conservatism, and they want to replace it. So to try to lump those people in with us is just it's factually inaccurate to begin with. David Duke is a big fan of Ilhan Omar. That tells you a lot. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, to, to those people, obviously, you're, you know, you're an East Coast uh, Orthodox Jew. So you've been dealing with anti-Semitism your whole life. I mean, you've, yeah, I'm sure you're not surprised by any of this. But to, to, you know, to a lot of people in the audience that maybe haven't been paying as close attention as they should uh, and are just seeing these, these Nick Cannons, the, the Shannon Sharps, the Deshaun Jacksons, I mean, how pervasive is this uh, on the left? It's bad. And I hate to say it, and I'm, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these black inner city youths, they've been told by the left and by their mass, by their, by their, you know, the people that they're, you know, that they pay attention to, that they have every right to act however they want, because they can't be racist by, by definition. There has to be a vengeance, and that's why you see tons and tons of not. You saw the knockout game going on last year, where they were just beat up Jews for no apparent reason. Right. This happened in a neighborhood not far from where my mom grew up a few days ago, and. Nobody says a word. Why? Because the left doesn't care. The left just cares about power. This is if they if they say anything, they will lose that kind of power. They will lose that constituency. And it's wrong. It is it's absolutely incorrect in the sense that black sh- they they should not nobody should feel like the system is racist against them. It, there is no such thing as a systemically racist system here. We're based on an individual creed. We are based on an individual, an individualist constitution. We are based 
on rights from our creator, unalienable. And that applies to everyone. Maybe it didn't apply to everybody at the very beginning, but it does now. And there should be absolutely none of this. But the reason that there is, is because of people like Al Sharpton, because of people like Farrakhan, and because of the people in the Democrat Party, in the left, they want this. They want to keep sowing people against each other. And that's how they want, that's how they're going to gain power. It's just interesting, too, man, like during this whole Black Lives Matter movement, which, you know, this is your daily reminder that Black Lives Matter is an evil communist organization. But, you know, it is just it is just fascinating that it seems like, you know, if they're I don't really know what the left means when they say, you know, systematic or, or systemic uh, racism. But it's like it seems like Jews and, and blacks should if we're all fighting for equality and, and fairness and, and everything. Those two groups have dealt with the most racism and discrimination in this country over our history. So it's like Jews and blacks should be natural allies in the fight for equality. And, and it's, that's just not the case. I mean, you're seeing all this anti-Semitism primarily among black leftists. And it's like, I don't know if, if your goal is equality. I, I just don't. But strategically speaking, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, like I, Jews and blacks have a lot more in common than, say, like, Jews and whites do in in terms of, you know, as a, discrimination as of the past, right? Because it's astroturfed, and it's just the same way that I told you. It's entirely fake. It was interesting, too, with the Barry Weiss stuff. Um, a lot... There's a lot of... There's a lot of anti-Semitism at the New York Times, man. I mean, you saw a lot of people... Holocaust. I mean, like, what you, you, you see, but you see a lot of a right, a lot of well, writers on the left criticizing Barry Weiss. Oh, thank God she's gone. She's not just going to write about Israel all the time. It's like, okay, exactly. Oh my God. It's like the the fact that leftist writers can just come out and say that without any recourse, without any fear of losing their job or anything. It's it's fascinating. Now let's get, now let's get back to talking about how uh, sex was better under communism or something. I, I remember they wrote a column like that last year. Right, right. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you saw the op-ed from the Times. Uh, coincidentally the night before Barry Weiss quit uh, talking about uh, they were ranking different uh, dildos and, and what, what the best uh, dildos were for, for women to use. So just hard-hitting journalism there, over at the time. That this, uh, there's a reason that this paper lines bird cages. It's great for uh, for burying uh, fish in the backyard after I gut them. So yeah, I will, I will exactly. say the Times is great for that. Um, so Here's another topic that has, you know, garnered a lot of interest on on the right. Um, Tommy Tuber, Tuberville, uh, Tuberville, Tuberville, I believe it's Tuberville, uh, former Auburn. I think, I think it's Tuberville. I thought it was Tuberville. I think it is Tuberville. Tuberville. Okay, Tommy Tuberville. <laughs> Should probably learn it since he's more than likely going to be a U.S. senator here in a few months. Uh, former former Auburn football coach defeated Jeff Sessions, the former AG and, and longtime senator in the Alabama. Republican Senate primary last night. Uh, Tuberville is Trump's guy um, because obviously Trump doesn't like Sessions. Um, and this effectively ends Sessions' career. Like, I've never been a, a, a fan of Jeff Sessions, but I, I know you are. But I, I'm just relieved that we don't have to watch Trump go after Jeff Sessions anymore. Like, Jeff Sessions was, like, one of Trump's biggest supporters uh, in 2016. And, and, you know, it was kind of uncomfortable to watch. Like, I am glad we don't need to see the Trump-Sessions war on Twitter anymore. That, that was It was getting too much for me. That is true, and I again, I I understand why Trump is mad at Sessions, and the way that Sessions handles his job hand, handled his job as, as Attorney General was pretty horrendous. I mean, he did not have to recuse himself politically. Maybe, maybe that might have been the case. There's an argument for that, but legally, he absolutely did not have to. That being said, he could have at least 
told Trump why, what he was doing, at least, you know, but there was, from what I understand, there was very little clarification in that. And that Mueller witch hunt ended up ruining a ton of people's lives. Yes. So that being said, you can argue that Sessions' recusal really led to that can of worms exploding. That being said, Sessions is a good man. I really do believe that his intentions were pure. And he would have been a great senator again. And it goes back to me wishing that he never took the AG job in the first place and we'd never be in this mess. But going back to last night, I don't think it was the Trump endorsement. It does not make sense that he won by that much. Yeah, it was something like 15 points. It was 63 to 37, I believe. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. But the Trump endorsement could not have possibly been that big. I have to think that it was possibly because Sessions had that cloud over his head of all of this news cycle. Plus, you know, nobody liked the Mueller witch hunt. Right. And, and, and Tuberville's also, he's a known quantity in Alabama. He was the coach of Auburn. College football is huge there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of SEC fans down there. So he obviously had you know close to a Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa was the county that voted for Sessions. Right, right. Well, yeah, that <laughs> yeah that makes sense. That makes that makes perfect sense. And a lot of conservatives. We, we talked about this earlier before we started recording, but a lot of conservatives who agree with Sessions on on you know border control, which of course I do. Um, I disagree with him on on a lot of other things, but you know I'm right with him on on immigration, and that's his main issue. And uh, nobody really knows. You know, a lot of Conservatives are, are concerned that Tommy Tuberville will be like a you know a milk toast kind of establishment you know party guy, um, but look we don't know anything about Tommy Tommy Tuberville we don't know but we do know who Doug Jones is the Democratic senator from Alabama he's a leftist he's in favor of late term partial birth abortion you know raising taxes he voted to impeach the president for no reason I mean look I even if Tuberville's bad <laughs> he's gonna be ten times better than Doug Jones so it's like you know that's and that's our battle now yeah. I, 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 our battle before, or at least mine, assuming wh- wh- whichever side you were on, I don't know. I don't think we've ever spoken about this before. But that battle's over. Now we move on to bigger fights. We move on to, for example, the Kansas race, Senate race, Chris Kobach versus Roger Marshall. I think there's another candidate in there, but it was like a very, very unknown. That's really the main two. Marshall knocked him till um, Tim Camp, who was, um, I think, the head of the House Freedom Caucus at the time, knocked him off by pretending to be a conservative. He's a well-known rhino. Now he's running for the Senate seat being vacated, and Chris Kobach is a proven conservative. Right. Yeah, that's not... We absolutely should rally around him. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's definitely a seat that uh, uh, we definitely need. There, I mean, it, it... There's, that's a seat that I believe that 100% will keep. Yeah. There's no reason to think we won't. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And uh, let, let's talk a little bit of... Um, let's, lo- let's talk a little bit of November. Uh, it's not something I've t- I, I've kind of stayed away from, you know, predicting the November election and, and stuff like that, because with the pandemic, with everything else, there's just been so much going on. It it, it seemed it, it's always felt like November's 10 years away. But, you know, it's the middle of July, so it's creeping up on us pretty oh, fast. It's, it's more than 10 years away. It's <laughs> maybe 40,000 news cycles away. But so here's the thing. You know, obviously, all the polls, whether you believe the polls or, or not, all, all the polls are saying that Biden should be the next president. The real clear politics average has Biden up nine points. A lot of the state polling looks really bad. You know, I, 
I'm, I'm kind of I'm in between the pessimists and then where you are. I'm kind of right smack dab in the middle of those two groups. But you've been, maybe aside from Rush Limbaugh, the most optimistic writer on the right, and you've maintained that throughout this entire process. So, look, I've tried to remain optimistic, but you, my friend, you're, you're the true optimist in the room. So to, to all the, the fans out there listening that uh, – that have a, a, a pit in their stomach right now. They, they're not feeling good about November. They don't think Trump has what it takes to get reelected. Cheer us all up, my brother. All right. Where, where, to, where to begin? Okay. First off, it's July. We have not had the conventions. We have not had real campaigning yet. We haven't had the debates. Biden's going to come out of, have to come out of his basement and have, have to walk a very, very thin line between the quote-unquote return to normalcy and the Antifa constituency. That is not a possible line to that is not a possible line to have both feet on, to, to be on both sides of. It is they are completely against each other. Yeah, before before you and before you go on, before you go, by the way, you're seeing, hold on a second, Jeremy. Before before you go on, I, I think you're totally right. And obviously, anytime there's a nominee for a party, there's an entire staff behind the scenes. Like, okay, how do we reconcile the different factions of the party? You know, like this is the same way with with Trump in 2016. Like, how do we? How do we reconcile the, the Rand Pauls with the Lindsey Grahams? <laughs> you know, you know, these guys that don't agree on anything. But I, I think you're right that the chasm on the left in the, in, in the Democratic Party is way wider than on the right. Like, it, I know he has this this unity agenda, the Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden unity agenda. But the, the far left has surpassed Bernie Sanders. I mean, they're, they're violent. They're violent communists on the streets. You know what I mean? They, they literally took over half of Seattle. So it's like, I don't know how you bridge that gap between old school Democrat and independent Republic of Chaz or whatever they ended up calling it. Like, I do yes. think that I don't know how you can square that circle if you're Joe Biden. You can't. Do you want to defund the police or do you not want to defund the police? Do you, do you support toppling statue, uh, statues by mobs or do you support um, keeping heritage or I guess theoretically in the middle having votes on, um, you know, removing specific ones, for example. You know, if you come out for the mobs, you, you, nobody's going to like, like that other than the mobs. If you come out against the mobs, the mobs are going to go nuts. It's not possible. Yeah, I, I, also, I, think to fund, I think to fund the police is interesting, too, because it's always a, you know, like the Star Wars line, only a Sith deals in absolutes, which is kind of weird because the Jedi also deal in absolutes. And basically every character in Star Wars deals in absolutes. But besides the point... Like if you if you make a campaign point defund the police, I mean that is binary. <laughs> there's no like you know there's no like hey defunding the police doesn't mean defunding the police. It's literally defund the police, yes or no. So there's no way to like soften that blade, you know. Exactly. And keep in mind, Biden has basically taken every position out of the radically left playbook. He's really like he's also not exciting. Remember, in the primaries before South Carolina, there were three races before that. He got in like fifth place in all of them. I don't remember exactly, but there was nothing. He was a completely like before that South Carolina win, and everybody just dropped out coincidentally the next day. He was nothing. Nobody expected him to win. Yeah, I think he was fourth in he Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire, or something Biden like that. Like I'm sorry, say that again. Uh, yeah, I believe he was like. Yeah, he was fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire. And then after the the Clyborne endorsement in South Carolina, he he squeaked one out in South Carolina, and that's what jump-started the campaign. But yeah, he was floundering in the early states. There might be, you know, there might be people who want to vote for Biden 
But most of that constituency are people who want to vote against Trump. And voting against something is not the same as voting for something. And that's where that enthusiasm gap comes in. It's 30 points or something like that. I think, And it's only going to get more. Obviously, I think... Biden can't fill a phone booth with his supporters at an event. Yeah, you're right. His last one, not the one yesterday, but there was one before. I believe it was on Saturday. He was a there were there were like ten people and media. Well, he can always pull the you know the COVID card and say, oh, you know, we're social distancing our events so we can only have forty people show up because <laughs> it's not. Safe. Then you have them outside the field. There's nothing there. There's no excitement. He he's a he's droning on. I'm not even talking about. I'm not even saying it from a personal pers- from a from a political perspective. He's just not exciting, and that's not good for a candidate. The debates. And if you try to duck the debates, you're going to look even weaker than if you debate and lose. Yeah, that, that's the thing. And you, you, I think you changed my mind on I, I that. I don't understand. That's yeah, we, we were talking earlier that you know, I, I, I basically had the opinion that if Joe Biden can somehow figure out a way not to debate Donald Trump, that helps Biden. But I think you're right. That I mean, obviously, I, I think Trump will absolutely truck him um, in the debates. So they're supposed to have three. We'll see. I mean, they Biden could pull the coronavirus card, say it's not safe to debate. We don't want to debate. I think you're right that that would make him look. I mean, how weak would would that make a, a, the Democratic nominee look if he refuses to debate the incumbent president? So I, I think the debates, unless Trump somehow has just a complete meltdown on a debate stage, which I don't think he will. I think either way, whether Biden ducks it or whether he debates, it's a big loser for him. It absolutely is. There, there's no conceivable way. That anything. I mean, even now, you see, in the last couple of weeks, I saw a poll two days ago that in the, that the independent um, the independent gap between Biden and Trump has been halved. Uh, the, uh, the independents were for Biden more before. I think it was cut by thirteen percent in the last week. Yeah, that's huge. You're gonna see right because people do not like what's going on in their cities. Every Democrat city is a microcosm of what would happen if you had a Democrat president. Yeah, and it's not just he is not a moderate. And even if he were, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. What makes me uncomfortable, uh, and I'm sure it makes every campaign staffer, you know, I've worked on some campaigns in the past. And, you know, what makes every campaign staffer uncomfortable is that there is a lot in this race specifically that is just completely out of your control. It's, It's the same as, you know. You know, after 9-11 or, you know, during a war, you know, how, how is the Iraq war going, good or bad? You know, and that kind of affects elections, right? Um, you quoted Mao Zedong yesterday. <laughs> you can't get more radical. <laughs> You're right. No, but, I, but by the way, the sad part is I don't even think he did it on purpose. No, I know. I, I, oof. I'm, so that, that speaks, I don't know if that speaks worse of him or not. It's not good. <laughs> it doesn't speak well. Oh, it's terrible. The thing is, but what I mean with with a lot of factors being completely out of our control, out of Trump's control, out of Brad Parscale's control. I mean, look, man, if if some scientists somewhere, anywhere, they don't even have to be in America. If, if an if an Israeli doctor comes up with a vaccine, Trump's reelected. If anybody, if some Australian scientist comes up with a vaccine before November, Trump's reelected, right? I mean, just the public optimism for the future will explode. And people will want more of the same if we have a vaccine. Now, it's unlikely that we're going to get a vaccine by November 3rd. Um, that's just, usually it just doesn't happen that quick. Sometimes it takes years. But like factors like that during a global pandemic, it, I, I hate that a lot of 
you know, the election might be decided on something completely out of the control of either candidate. I don't think it's going to be based on this. Nobody in their right mind actually believes that a politician can save them from a pandemic. That's ridiculous. I don't know. There's a lot of dummies out there, Jeremy. I don't know. There are a lot of dummies, but there are also a lot of smart people. And by the way, most of these dummies, they don't vote. Most of these polls are taken of registered voters that don't actually get up off their butts and get out. What would you change if you were running the well, Trump campaign? I'd be too scared to vote. What, I don't know. That's just my own uh, my own surmise. What What would you change if you were running the Trump campaign? Because I think we can both agree. Yeah, obviously, you're the the consummate optimist, and that's why I love you, my brother. <laughs> and I think you are right about a lot of the points you just made. But I I do think that the Trump campaign has been making some errors. Um, I don't know why every single commercial isn't uh, just hot, just showing businesses burning to the ground the people being beaten in the streets the statues coming down i mean just just there was one about a week ago that i saw there was that uh, basically it said like um oh the 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 police have been defunded they called not the, someone in the commercial called nine one the police have been defunded sorry or something like that we'll get to you on monday that was a brutal ad that I, and i think that was i think we need more ad I've ever seen and that's not unfair i mean that's not an unfair ad and i think we need more of that now they did release the ad that's running now in ohio is um, I don't know if you guys have it in in New Jersey, but it's um, it's it's just making fun of Joe Biden's mental health, right? It's saying like, you know, hey, we need your help. Donate to the Trump campaign, you know, like don't think just because Joe Biden's an idiot and can't speak English that he, you know, that that he can't lose because he could win. That's why we need your support. And it's like, okay, I don't know, man. I I don't think uh, you're gonna win over a lot of seniors by like calling Joe Biden senile, even though Joe Biden is senile. Uh, I think that's gonna turn off older folks. I I, I think that. The Trump campaign has been making some unforced errors. Like, if this, they make Jeremy Frankel campaign manager tomorrow. Like, what's the first thing that you advise the president to do? What's the first thing you change about the way they've been running the campaign? This might take some thought. Give me, uh, can just give me one second. Yeah, sorry, th- <laughs> sorry, man. I didn't prepare you for that one. That was just off the off the cuff. So, <laughs> take your time. Run more ads. Stop with the coronavirus task force meetings, which really have gone down more. But leave that to Pence. Show leadership. And, you, and he has been. He's shown more leadership. He's gotten better. I'm actually reading something literally as we're speaking that, he, um, that Trump told CBS that he actually will bring Mike Flynn, would bring Mike Flynn back to the White House. That's great. <laughs> Things like that. You know, the, the Durham investigation, actually, I forgot about, would, would also um, might also really change this race, just to get back to the last segment that we were talking. Um, what I would do, I guess, is... Yes, I guess run more ads, talk more, talk more about a second term, you know, a second term plan. I think, you know, list of, I think release your SCOTUS list, which I know he plans to do, but release it. Force Biden to release his. Yeah, that, that that's you actually know, a very good idea. Confront Biden, confront Biden on, on crazy things and see what he does. I don't know. Are you planning to tear down the wall? Right. They already did that in the primaries, and a lot of a lot of them said yes. I actually think, and if they don't, I, and if they don't say yes, the other the other the only other side are going to go insane. I like the idea of challenging Biden to release his his uh, his list of judges. I do think that's I think that would be a, a huge winner, especially for independents, because I you know whatever list Biden can come up with, it's it's not even going to be somebody as moderate as like a Merrick Garland. Um, God rest his soul. <laughs> I would also say. I would also say. Instead of instead of um, 
instead of attacking the media just carte blanche, basically keep driving the point that the media and the left are not just attacking him, they're attacking us. Keep doing that. He's He's been doing it, but I, I would love to see more of it. Yeah, maybe even grab onto this Barry Weiss thing, man. You know, instead of just calling the New York Times. I think he did. Actually. I saw a tweet this morning. I, I, I didn't actually, uh, I skimmed it, but I didn't like, uh, but I saw that he was talking about the New York Times and... I, I think you hit the nail on the head with something you said a couple minutes ago, and we'll, we'll end on that. Um, I do think the, the biggest problem with the way Trump the Trump campaign is running this right now is that they haven't rolled out a plan for the next four years. They haven't really talked about, this is my agenda for the next four years. This is why we need to keep the Senate. I don't know if we have to do that necessarily right now, but I would love to see it soon. It, it's still July. You want to keep you know people excited later on, too. Yeah. But they haven't really released much of anything as a as a, a concrete plan. This is what, you know, in 2021, this is what we want to do. In 2022, this is what we want to do. I think that would, you know, really drive up the optimism. That would, you know, make people a lot more comfortable. So I, I definitely think you hit the nail on the head there. Jeremy, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for doing this again, man. I'm sure we'll, we'll do it again soon. Uh, where can everybody follow you online, on Twitter and Parler? And uh, where can everybody read your stuff? So Twitter, at Frankel Jeremy. Parler, Jeremy Frankel. Um, I'm at Bongino.com and the Bongino Report. All right, everybody check out Bongino.com. Uh, Jeremy's one of the best young writers in the country. I've been saying that for years. Uh, definitely check out his work, and everybody follow him online. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Uh-huh.